0: house is a podcast from the House of Literature in Oslo, presenting adapted versions of lectures and conversations featuring international writers and thinkers. In this episode, you can hear a conversation between the American writer Paul Auster and critic and former editor Janneken Överland. The conversation took place on August 22nd, 2017. Slow <laughs> <laughs> So, comfortable?: Very good. Not too comfortable. <laughs> never, never. Never. I got some notes here for you. <laughs> I'm very happy to be here and have a conversation about the many lives of Archibald Isaac Ferguson who's not his name. Um, And as if this book alone, you've already seen, it's a big book in many ways. It could fill a whole night of conversations. But I still feel that we could, we'll see, um, move out into some even larger circles during this hour. Um, as you are now well into your fifth decade <laughs> of writing books, this big book—I have to get rid of that. This big book. Um, how long was it on the way? Because it's not something you just snap out.
1: Well, I think in a way I've been preparing to write this book for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. But uh, usually what happens to me is that an idea comes in bits, in pieces. A book usually starts with a kind of music in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a sound to the book, and then there's a character. Um, and a certain tone. I mean, it is, it's, it's auditory before it's anything else. Then it becomes tactile, And then, people start popping up. And it usually takes me a few years of thinking Mm. about all these things before the book is somehow... the cooking is finished and I'm ready to start writing. Mm. This book was different in that uh, one day I was sitting at my uh, dining room table, having breakfast, And the idea of the book occurred to me, (laughs) just like that. And I got so excited, I started writing it within a few weeks. (laughs) So the years of preparation that go into most of them was a matter of weeks this time. (laughs) And um, I was 66 years old. That is the age at which my father was when he died. Mm -hmm. And I had this strange sense that this was a a, a bad year for me. (laughs) Uh, To go through that invisible curtain and get older than your parents had ever been Mm -hmm. is an eerie place to go. And I thought to myself, "Hmm, this book, because of the nature of the structure of it, it's going to be big, bigger than anything I've ever done in terms of length. So, given how long it's taken me in the past to write a book, I thought it would take five or six years to do it. Mm -hmm. But um, then I understood that if I was gonna die soon, (laughs) I better work uh, in a more concentrated way. (laughs) And so I pretty much stopped doing anything but writing the book. So I didn't do things like travel to Norway, Talk to book critics on a stage in front of people. I didn't do do readings anywhere. I didn't do interviews anywhere. Uh, And Siri, with whom I live, I'm sure you all know who she is, and she too is a writer. We live in the same house together. She's on the top floor. I'm on the bottom floor. And we're just, (laughs) they're they're cooking away all day. And um, uh, so she was working hard. I was working hard. And we didn't go out very much. Mm. we just were home just writing so I managed to do it in three and a half years mm. which seemed to me remarkably fast mm. really um, for a book of this size uh,
0: but when you say you had, you have the music first and the characters it's, it's just the start of it it's not all of it
1: no, no, it, no you see as, uh, it's, 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 I think maybe people will be shocked to understand that I really don't know what I'm doing <laughs> with any book and I feel my way into it, mm-hmm. and I'm uh, uh, I'm listening to that music and advancing, but I'm improvising. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a general sense of where I want to go with it, uh, you know, a feel for the beginning and the middle and the end, and who the characters are, mm-hmm. and yet all the details I discover on the day I write them, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and but this,
0: you've been doing this for five for a decades, long time. So. I know, it's, and it's, still it's there.
1: It's it's like this, and you see, the funny thing is, I've been doing this for so long now. I mean, more than five decades, uh, because I really started writing seriously when I was about sixteen or seventeen. Mm-hmm. It's not that I published any of that stuff, but I was I was writing, Uh so it's you know we're talking about fifty four years of mm-hmm. of of doing this, and so. By now it 's really in my body the whole process of writing a book mm-hmm. it 's in my bones it 's in my blood, and i don 't really have to think about things the way I did when I was much younger and much less experienced mm-hmm. and um, you know trusting my impulses, trusting my unconscious to take me to places that i 'm not sure i 'm going to, and then mm-hmm. suddenly there I am and and how interesting it is to be there um with this book i had the feeling often that it's strange that the words were hovering just above my desk and i was just <laughs> pulling them down and putting them on the page
0: so your middle name would be serapta
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a strange thing but these are these this is how people write novels i suppose uh i, I I guess some people have 60-page outlines, but Mm -hmm. if I did that, I wouldn't be able to write the book. Mm -hmm. Because for me, it's the sense of adventure and discovery Mm -hmm. that makes you want to throw yourself into that room every morning and get Mm -hmm. back to it.
0: Mm -hmm. Apropos that room, I guess you don't know, but some of us know that online today on Facebook, there is this Man Booker Award jury, Sends out some pictures, and then they um, take a picture of a writer's desk. Yes. And put yes. it out. Yeah. And today it was you.
1: Well, they came. Uh, they said, "Would you please take a photo of uh, of your workroom?"
0: Of your Olympus. Uh,
1: my Olympia typewriter. Olympia. <laughs> and um, um, so you I, did. I forget who did it. Siri, did you take Siri the picture for did me? it? Siri probably did Yes. Because I don't have a cell phone, but. Somebody, maybe Sophie did it for me, my daughter. I, yeah. I don't know. But, it's, uh, so we sent It's a it nice off. picture. Good, good. Yeah. I haven't it's seen it. It's a corner, yeah.
0: kind of uh, uh, office room. Uh-huh. And on that side, you do the handwriting, yeah. I guess.
1: Yeah. And then... The typewriters... The yeah, typewriter. I can swivel around. it's a around. real typewriter. I, I go between. This mm-hmm. is uh, interesting. Two steps. I, I write everything by hand.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I work on a paragraph. For me... The paragraph is the unit of a novel. You know, just as a line is the unit mm-hmm. in a poem. Mm-hmm. For me, it's the paragraph. And so I work on a paragraph and work on it and work on it and write it and rewrite it. And and
0: but in, notebooks, in pages notebooks, pages like this? Yeah. Uh,
1: notebooks. Books? Book, notebooks, Both yeah. Books. Bound notebooks. Blue or red? Always with um, all colors. All colors. <laughs> but always with um, quadrangle lines, little squares like graph paper. okay. Don't ask me why. I feel comfortable writing on those (gasps) kinds of papers. And then, when I think the paragraph is done, or reasonably done, or I can't read my handwriting anymore, (laughs) I I swivel around and type up the paragraph on the typewriter. Then it's all clean, and then I can look at it. I start changing more, and then when I can't change anymore, I go back to the notebook and write the next paragraph. Mm. That's how I... Write my books. It is always that way. I start at the first word and I push on until the last. Because I know there are novelists who jump around. They yeah. write something in the middle first. But I, I can't do that because I don't really know where I'm going. You see? But so a
0: paragraph is an unknown size.
1: A paragraph can be one sentence or it can be three pages. So, <laughs> still, it's a paragraph. Yeah. Just as a novel can be. 90 pages or 900 pages.
0: Uh, This book that has been nominated for the Man Booker Prize, uh, it's been called um, long, complicated, ambitious, confusing. And some have asked, should there have been a reader's guide to it?
1: Uh, (laughs) I think, uh, you see, I don't read reviews because usually they are awfully stupid. And it doesn't do me any good either to be praised or attacked. Uh, but in a case like this, I felt sorry for the reviewers because, you know, they're underpaid and they have to work under time pressure. You. And to have to read so much in such a short time. Of course they're going to be confused <laughs> because they're not taking the time to read the book. So it's not a confusing book at all. It is so clear that uh, you would have to... It's just, it's just, it takes time to read it all. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know this, uh, and also the critics have told you, or told us, uh, the famous poem by Robert Frost, The Road's Not Taken, uh, because I, I guess many of the listeners know that uh, poem, yeah. because it's two uh, roads
1: diverged in a yellow wood yeah.
0: yeah when you yeah you are at the crossroads and you have to take one road you don't you cannot go two ways at the same time and robert frost was a poet but you're a prose writer so you could go more than one road
1: well haven't we all asked the question to ourselves what if when we look it back is. at our lives what if mm-hmm. what if um What if my father hadn't gambled away all his money that night in the casino? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What if my mother had not gotten into the car and died in a car crash (laughs) that night? What if I had not gone to that party and met my future spouse Mm -hmm. and had stayed home feeling sorry Mm -hmm. for myself? Mm -hmm. Um, All the different things that happened to us, all the unexpected things and the accidental things that happened. Siri, I hear her laughing. She's always a laugh that I can hear where we're in public together. There she is. And you know, we met, it was over 36 years ago, and it was probably the most important day of my life. And it was at a poetry reading in New York. And there was one single human being in the entire universe Mm -hmm. whom we knew in common. Only one. And it turned out that he was a graduate student at the same university, Columbia, where Siri was studying, and he happened to be her companion for that night. Mm-hmm. They were just friends, they were not involved in any other way, fellow students and he introduced us well, if I hadn't gone to that reading i I wouldn't have known her and uh i can't it's hard to imagine now <laughs> what what life would have been like if if we hadn't been together all this time. <laughs> um, and that's just one example of, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. literally millions mm-hmm. of the things. Uh, I mean, uh, you, you said you had a grown-up daughter. Think of the, when you're raising children, all the times those kids nearly, nearly kill themselves uh, doing something. And then most of the time, they don't. They don't. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> good <for> us. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's a good thing. <laughs> Uh, once you said um, that, novel writing is a way of talking out of your mouth on both sides.
1: Yeah, that's one that's way. That's a good picture. Or, or speaking in tongues, or yep. embodying. Uh, well, this is the introduction. Containing multitudes within mm-hmm. you, the Whitman line. Uh, but I all I do think we all have multiple selves, mm-hmm. and um, and I think that when we talk about the self you can't think of it as a fixed um, something. It's, uh, I've always, in my mind, used the idea of a spectrum and that we are um, we are that spectrum and we can range from uh, uh, the, the very dark to the very light in terms of color and then everything in between. And depending on our mood depending on our circumstances, depending on our health, um, we can occupy different parts of that spectrum. Sometimes several different ones on, on the same mm-hmm. day. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And, through life. and
1: through our lives. And through our lives, yes.
0: And also you said about novel writing that uh, you like to be able to see the contraction. Yes. And this book is, in a way... As you have understood already, it's a four three two one. It's a four construction work. At least it's a four.
1: Well, again, work. it's it's a transparent idea. There mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. The four, uh, revolving lives. See, it's written in. Um, well, because I guess very few of you have read it because mm. it just came out in Norwegian mm-hmm. the other day. Maybe some have read it in English. I don't know, but. Um, The book opens with a kind of uh, prologue. And in the prologue you learn how um, Ferguson's parents, Ferguson is the the protagonist, how his parents meet and get married. And then the last sentence ends with him being born. Mm -hmm. And it says, you know, and then for the the next couple of seconds he was the youngest person on the face (laughs) of the earth.
0: Very short nights. Very short. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, this was 1947. 47. So they had a little more time. <laughs> to be fair. Um, unique. And then uh, and then it begins. That was uh, the overture is 1.0, and then we have 1.1, 1. 1, where we're introduced to the first Ferguson, mm-hmm. and 1. 1.2, 1. 1.3, 1. 1.4, and then 2.1, etc. Through seven mm. cycles, um, and. Um, I think what happens is in the very beginning it's maybe a little hard to distinguish them because they're just small children but fairly quickly they begin to distinguish themselves from Mm. one another (coughs) they are genetically the same person Mm -hmm. but the circumstances of each boy are different Um, in one um, the, the father has uh, money troubles. Uh, in another, the, the boy's father dies when he's only seven years mm-hmm. old. This mm-hmm. creates a whole different story for him. Mm-hmm. In yet another, uh, the father becomes rich, and that creates a whole other set of conflicts mm-hmm. and, and problems. Um, uh, the boys, in that they have the same body, uh, can do physically the same things, they they tend to be athletic. They like sports when they're young. They all have a, a real passion for music, great sensitivity for music, uh, and they all, as they grow older, tend towards writing. Right. But different kinds of writing. Mm. You know, journalism, poetry, um, um, fiction writing, criticism, mm-hmm. different, journalism, and journalism exactly. Mm. Um, so they're they're difference, but they're the same. And um,
0: and they are living simultaneously?
1: That's, no, no, no. They're living in their own universe, which mm-hmm. doesn't intersect.
0: But they're living through the same years.
1: Absolutely. They're well, yeah. the same person. They're born mm-hmm. the same moment.
0: And, uh, the 60s, 70s. Yeah, mm.
1: yeah. Now, this is a good point. When I first started writing the book, again, not knowing exactly what I was doing, I thought initially I would take them deep into their lives and that uh, they would be, if not old men, middle-aged. But then as I got into it, I realized that the book is a story of human development. Mm -hmm. And the most exciting moments of human (laughs) development, of course, are the first 20 years of a person's life when we're changing constantly. Mm -hmm. Um, And that I didn't want to take it much beyond that, um, so
0: early seventies, late seventies. It goes
1: into the early seventies, essentially. Oh. Yeah, mm. Mm. yeah. Um, except for one little tiny thing at the very mm. end, but mm. essentially, mm. we're mm. we're ending the book in around nineteen seventy-one. So,
0: but they have a lot of similarities, but they have some differences. Um, but mostly, the circumstances around them.
1: Yes. Are different. Yes.
0: But does that mean uh, which weight does it say anything about which weight you put on inheritance, um, hard work, surroundings, or chance? I think it's all of those things. And I think, um, you know, we,
1: we talk about the great nature-nurture debate. Mm-hmm. But essentially, I don't think you can pull these two things apart. I mean, we are genetic beings who come out of mm-hmm. our mothers. And uh, and yet we live in an environment and uh, we're surrounded by not just the people in our immediate family, but then we're surrounded by the larger family. We're surrounded by our community mm-hmm. and then our country. And um, uh, a person who, for example, um, has the potential, say, to become a very... Intelligent, thoughtful, kind person. If that person has the misfortune to be a child during Hitler's reign in Germany, mm. and you're taught to hate, mm. and and uh, uh, and you're an obedient child, you start to hate, mm. and you become somebody very different mm-hmm. than the person you would have been if you had grown up in uh, in Norway today, for example. Mm? Mm-hmm. So it's the same person, but environment. Can have enormous effects, mm. but but this is obvious. Um, but since it,
0: these these four, four fabulous four grow up in New Jersey and have a close relationship to New York as they grow up, um, but also in their uh, life stories, um, these stories are quite perilous. There is death and disaster all over. Yeah, 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 well, such That's is life. life.
1: Such is life. <laughs> yeah. Um, then um, it should be noted too um, um, uh, the book has, um, has a tone mm-hmm. to it. It's mostly uh, a long, long piece of storytelling. It does not rely on the conventions of what we would call realist fiction. Um, most novels are more or less set up the way movies are. You know, you, the, the, the author has a scene and uh, he describes, or she describes mm. what things look like and people walk into the scene and they talk. And uh, there's very little dialogue in the book and there's very little uh, scene setting. Mm. It's, it's something older, an older kind of storytelling. Um, can I read the first paragraph? You just to give a sense of the of mm-hmm. the tone of the book, you have it. Well, I see you have one have that's it? not in a bag, and so this will be faster. too. It's just a, just the first paragraph, to hmm. um, because I think the first words of the first paragraph are important too.
0: It's always important. Yes,
1: and also just to tell you, the ship, the Empress of China, which is. Um, mentioned in here.
0: But this is the grandfather's story.
1: This is the grandfather's yeah. story. But I got this idea for the Empress of China from a, a wonderful book uh, published, I think, in the 1970s by an American critic uh, named Irving Howe. And Irving Howe wrote a, a, a book called The World of Our Fathers, which was a study of Jewish immigration hmm. uh, in New York. And um, he has a chapter about Yiddish newspapers uh, of the late 19th, early 20th century. And um, he describes how the Yiddish journalists, who didn't always know English that well, would look at the English language papers to get ideas for stories. And one, one journalist saw a headline, Empress of China makes maiden voyage to New York. A maiden voyage is the first voyage of a ship. Mm -hmm. Well, the next day in the Yiddish paper it said, Empress of China coming to New York looking for a husband. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought this is a great example of misunderstanding (laughs) a language. language. (laughs) So it reinforces what happens in the paragraph. So Mm -hmm. here it is. According to family legends, Ferguson's grandfather departed on foot From his native city of Minsk with 100 rubles sewn into the lining of his jacket, traveled west to Hamburg through Warsaw and Berlin, and then booked passage on a ship called the Empress of China, which crossed the Atlantic in rough winter storms and sailed into New York Harbor on the first day of the 20th century. While waiting to be interviewed by an immigration official at Ellis Island, he struck up a conversation with a fellow Russian Jew the man said to him, forget the name Reznikoff. It won't do you any good here. You need an American name for your new life in America, something with a good American ring to it. Since English was still an alien tongue to Isaac Reznikoff in 1900, he asked his older, more experienced compatriot for a suggestion. Tell him you're Rockefeller, the man said. You can't go wrong with that. <laughs> an hour passed, then another hour, and by the time the 19-year-old Reznikov sat down to be questioned by the immigration official, he had forgotten the name the man had told him to give. Your name? The official asked. Slapping his head in frustration, the weary immigrant blurted out in Yiddish, Ich hab vergessen. I've forgotten. And so it was that Isaac Reznikov began his new life in America as Ichabod Ferguson. <laughs> so. That's how he gets a Scottish name. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of humor in the book too. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of humor. Yeah, and a lot of pain too. It's but I think
0: well. all through your your authorship, there is a lot of humor around yeah. names. Yes. So you like that playing games with names. Well, and there doesn't... are more not not Fergusons, but Featherman and like yes. it goes all over.
1: Yes, but I have to say that I didn't make this joke up, it's, no, it's, something, it's an it's old true Jewish joke, <laughs> joke and I, I heard it though only a couple of years before I started writing the book, but I made some changes on the first name, I, I, uh, the, the version I had heard was Shane Ferguson, which means I forget, mm-hmm. and that, then the man becomes Sean Ferguson, yeah. which isn't as funny. And so <laughs> I, I did some research into the, the tenses of you improved Yiddish reality. And, and, yeah, and, and got, got up, came Fake up with this. That, yeah. yeah, that is. <laughs> uh,
0: but uh, back to the perilous and the death things, because you, you've said all through... Hello? <laughs> you said all through your, your writing that you're not a pessimistic writer. But still, these young men that grow up in... Quite difficult times, and and when they when they are young, when don't they finish school, don't give it away. School. Don't give things away. Yeah. No, I will not. Yeah. But the times are um, uh, the war in Vietnam. Yeah. Well, and the And the drafting.
1: Was a very which, fractured time. Very
0: very dangerous. And again, now that people tend to move to Canada, that was one of the moves that these young boys could do.
1: That was one thing people mm. did. Um, now, this book is not autobiographical. I do steal a few things from my life. As always. As always, as all novelists do. But essentially what I've done is take my my geography
0: mm-hmm. and
1: chronology. Mm-hmm. So it's really my generation mm-hmm. and the places where can I'm... Sing,
0: a, can you sing that, my generation? I
1: can't <laughs> sing at all, unfortunately. <laughs> I, who also love music very much, but have... No inside. To, inside, yes. <laughs> that's, in here. In that's for real. Um, um, it's about the time as well as the individual lives of the boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly the first cycle. Ferguson, one, is the one who gravitates towards journalism, and he's the one paying the closest attention mm-hmm. to, to the political mm-hmm. climate mm-hmm. of the day. Yeah, to the politics. Number three. Really doesn't care about it at oh. all. He tries to ignore it as much as he can. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, we were all subject to the draft, um, starting at age eighteen, basically up to about twenty-six. Mm-hmm. That was the mm. age group. Scary. You could get a deferment if you were in college. So as that, long as that lasted. As long as, and and then uh, it was a very contentious business because <gasps> the government wanted the universities to, f- to send in the the grades of the students uh-huh. and the ones who were doing badly they they were, they were subject to the draft. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of pushback after a while the universities refused to do this. Mm-hmm. So essentially if you were hanging in as a college student you could get through to around 22. Mm-hmm. But then you were subject yeah. to the draft. Now I would say by the time I was graduating which was 1969 mm-hmm. I'd say about half the country was against the war and half the country was for the war. Mm-hmm. And, uh, which meant that at least half the young men of my age felt that it would have been immoral to fight in that war. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the options were to get lucky with a doctor who would lie for you and tell the, the, board, the draft board that you had some ailment, Uh, a lot of people I know starved themselves, they went in there weighing almost nothing others pretended to be homosexuals
0: (laughs) which was dangerous
1: (laughs) yes uh, uh, etc. or you could go to prison Mm -hmm. for resisting or you could run away Mm -hmm. and um, um, well I know people did all of those things.
0: Can I ask what you did?
1: I got lucky, you see I, I, I got a deferment uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, there were different categories. 1A meant that they would draft you right away. Mm-hmm. 1Y meant, if we, re- if we need you, we're going to draft you, but mm-hmm. you don't have to go right now. Mm-hmm. That's what I got, because of allergies. which was real. yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to you. Yeah. And then, uh, and then 4F meant, you flunk, they don't want you. Mm-hmm. There's something yeah. unfit <gasps> physically or mentally about you. But, you see... Um, a few months after I went to the draft board and had my physical, they had a new system. Nixon was then the mm. president. <coughs> and he he actually wanted to get rid of the draft entirely because mm. he felt that this is what was tearing apart the country. Mm. But uh, the generals and the cabinet prevailed upon him not to do that. So they instituted a lottery. A lottery. Yeah. The lottery. Yeah. So and it's that was one. December 1st of 1969. <laughs> so they took 366 numbers, True they attached notes. the birthday to each one, and they started pulling them out. And I got number 297. So when I got that number, I knew that I was free and clear, that I was not out of danger. And I felt that was maybe... Straight. The most important day of my life. Of course. Because if I had gotten number two, or number four, or ten, <gasps> I, would have, I would have gone to prison. Because I wasn't going to run away, and I wasn't going to fight. So, Bad. Saved by a number. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Saved by a number. Yeah. <laughs> I think we could, we could talk a little about um, the importance of telling stories. Because that's what you do. Yeah. It's not one story, it's not four story. it's a lot of stories in all your books. Yeah. So, so do you collect stories?
1: Um,
0: do you invent stories?
1: Well, I invent, I mean, these are invented um, uh, for the most part. Um, I, I've never really thought of myself as a novelist, <laughs> but more as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. I think my, the great influences on me... Are fairy tales and, mm-hmm. and old you know legends, according mm-hmm. to family legend. And um, you know to listen to the voice of a storyteller is a very um, captivating activity. Mm. And uh, uh, many novelists um, go about it in a different way. And um, for the most part, I haven't been interested in the things that most novelists are, say, the sociology of a moment. Tracking, you know, the clothes that people wear or the foods that they're eating. There are lots of novels about these things mm-hmm. that are hovering right there in the foreground of, of very good novels. This is not a criticism. It's just that my interests have been um, uh, different.
0: But but the storytelling is uh, originally oral art. Yeah, of course. Yes. But you're writing.
1: Yeah. I know. So well. you
0: transform. But in also, a way.
1: I must say that I take great pleasure in, in doing the audiobooks. I read all my books for, mm-hmm. uh, um, for people to listen to them mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. And um, this one is only 36 and a half hours. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but do
0: you read them yourself when I publish them uh, like uh, audiobooks?
1: I mean, I, 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 I. You have done it? I, no, I'm saying I, I record my own books. I've yeah, been doing it for do. years. Mm-hmm. But I don't listen to it. No. No, no, no. No.
0: no. <laughs> <laughs> um, this uh, book, the newest book, not the last book, uh, even though you said in an interview that this was the book you were meant to write.
1: I think so. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I'll tell you. There was a build-up for this, and um, if, if, if anyone here has been following what I've been doing over mm-hmm. the last years, uh, the two previous books I've published were um, nonfiction books, autobiographical books, mm-hmm. Winter Journal and Report from the Interior. Mm-hmm. And both of those books, um, uh, for the first time in my adult life, I actually started thinking about my childhood seriously. Mm-hmm trying to remember things. And uh, it proved to be a very fertile ground. I found it so fascinating. And I think if I hadn't written those two much shorter works, I wouldn't have done this. But I was thinking about childhood so deeply that then I I understood, well, unconsciously understood that I wanted to write a novel about Mm -hmm. childhood.
0: Mm. But all these books... um you told us you started listening to the melody that was this book. Are the other books finished then? do they come separately, or do the tones start before you finish?
1: The other books meaning what other books
0: do you do you, do you finish a book totally and then start looking for ah, the next
1: i 've changed uh, there, there was a time the when I was, there was a time when I was younger. <laughs> when I had five or six books in my head, I knew what Mm -hmm. I I wanted to write, one after the other. And then a moment came, I think it was after the Brooklyn Follies, when Mm -hmm. I had no more back ideas. Mm -hmm. So since then, so it's been the last 15 years or so, each book has um, uh, been generated more slowly and the gaps between writing have become longer but then the composition time has become shorter. It's all very mysterious <laughs> to me. I, I don't. I don't get it. But um, things change as you mm-hmm. get move mm-hmm. along through your life.
0: Also, I think we should talk a little about fathers and sons, because m- more of your nonfiction titles are occupied by that relation, and it's a very important relation in this book. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's true. Hmm. Um, Well, the first prose book I ever published, The Invention of Solitude, Mm. was inspired by my father's very sudden, unexpected Mm. death. Mm. And uh, I was so shocked, uh, unprepared for it, that I had no choice but to sit down and start writing about him. Um, And try to, well, explore what this kind of sudden death means, and then to think about who he was, and what our relation was and that led to that's the first part of the book and then mm. there's a second part which takes these things into a much wider mm. uh, terrain um, so it's true uh, in, in this book <coughs> the the four Fergusons have essentially different relations to their to their, to father. their fathers but
0: that's a very important yes.
1: relation also here. yes uh, pretty much the same relation with their mother who is uh, sort mm. of the the solid, constant—I think—in the book, Rose Adler mm-hmm. Ferguson, and uh,
0: but the the relationship between the son and the mother is less complicated. It's less complicated, and it's um, and she's kind of more solid. She's a solid, the book. yeah, yeah. But isn't it so that uh, the, the 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 destiny of the four arches? Isaac also is their name. Which one of them? Middle name. Pick. He uses. Yeah, he yeah. uses Yeah, they it. take on different pen names, too. Because
1: yeah. the name Archibald is so horrible. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> such a stupid name to have in America that no one wants to use it. So there's one of them, calls himself Archie, yeah. and then the other two make up, make up make uh, uh, initials and version. middle name. Um, but anyway, in number one, um, the, uh, the boy has pretty good relationship with his father even though the father's remote, uncommunicative but sympathetic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the father uh, owns this little appliance store in this small town in New Jersey where they live. Stanley's TV and radio. Mm -hmm. And mostly what his father does is sit at a bench in the back room repairing broken machines. And, uh, And Ferguson, the boy, has no talent for doing this. But he, he as he gets older, he likes going there and doing his homework after school mm. while his father is kind repairing broken toasters mm. and things like that. Mm. And, um, uh, but it's not a close relationship. Uh, number two, uh, the relationship is fine. And number three, it's the boy whose father dies. Mm. But he later gets a stepfather. And uh, that becomes a very warm, close yeah. relationship. Um, in the and way,
0: that the more distant men are more better male pictures for the young boys.
1: I don't understand. The uncles, the, oh, the uncles. uncles. The there are real uncles float, floating are around, yes, yes. Second marriage yes, men. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, well, and then in the fourth, I mean, just to finish... The the the, yep. the the father who becomes wealthy, the boy is in bitter conflict with him, mm. and that marriage ends in divorce, and there's a real rupture, and uh, it's very bitter, hmm. and then um, there's a lot of regret that goes into hmm. this this boy later uh, when the father dies, and mm. um, so this is an agonizing story, but I should say too. The second most important character in the book is a is, is a girl, Amy mm. Schneiderman, mm. the amazing she's, Amy. She's Amy everywhere. Schneiderman. She, well, you see, in the Ferguson one, Amy Schneiderman. Well, I should say Rose, the mother of Archie, works as a photographer, and she trained. Uh, she worked for a studio photographer in New York when she was young, a man named Schneiderman, and he had two sons, Schneiderman, mm-hmm. and. Uh, So Amy Schneiderman is the daughter of one of those two sons. Mm -hmm. And so Ferguson meets her, Ferguson 1 meets her when they're around 16 years old. Mm -hmm. And um, they have a long, intense, uh, youthful romance that is very powerful for both of them.
0: Good for the book.
1: Well, it's (laughs) a big story. But Number three, the one whose father dies, Mm -hmm. the mother marries one of the Schneiderman brothers. Mm -hmm. So Amy becomes his cousin. Mm -hmm. And then then kissing cousin. cousin. But then in number four, the divorced family, Mm -hmm. the mother remarries but she marries the other brother. And so Amy becomes, becomes a stepsister. <laughs> yes. So Amy is is there Amy throughout. Is yeah, yeah. And I she's a fierce character. The counterparts is. I don't think, for, I don't for think
0: we have that expression, kissing cousins. No. And, no. And, and I no. I one. never
1: quite understood what it meant. I think. But now I think I do. i must uh, Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cousin. Um,
0: um, I think um, memory is one of the the points in your uh, uh, way of telling stories. So I want to put you some questions. Do writers have to have excellent memories or more creativity? Do they get better memories by using them often? And, or are they better to make memories up? Well, I think
1: it's all of what you've just said. Mm -hmm. I I have noticed that, for example, writing these two previous books is that if you put yourself into a kind of trance, Mm -hmm. and you really put yourself back in time, Mm -hmm. you can begin to find things that you thought you had lost. Mm -hmm. Not everything. In fact, most things not. Most, at least in my case, most of my experiences are obliterated, and I can't remember anything about Mm -hmm. a particular place or time. But then what I can bring back um, I usually can remember pretty well. I think, but who can say that my memories are accurate Mm -hmm. or not? Um, But uh, it's a a very ambiguous question. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is the difference between writing novels and autobiographical works. Mm -hmm. Because um, with the so-called true books, Mm -hmm. uh, I, I really try to be very honest. And when I can't remember something, I just say, I don't I remember. So. I, can't, mm. I can't bring it back. Whereas in a novel, you can,
0: you can do f- what you fill want. it in. You can do whatever <laughs> <course>. you want. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you have a, wo- a wonderful <laughs> sentence. Uh, uh, questioning your own uh, memory. Uh, and, and saying, do we really remember? Or are we only remembering a later remembrance? Yeah. Because when you get as old as we are, you have remembered for a long time, and maybe you're just remembering the thing you remembered in the fifties. Exactly, exactly. That's very interesting. No, it is.
1: So it keeps changing. There will be layers. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, sometimes, Mm -hmm. for example, a photograph can trigger something off, but other times you look at a photograph Mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean anything. It could even be of you, (gasps) but you don't remember where (laughs) it was taken or why it was taken Mm -hmm. or who took the picture.
0: Uh-huh. But also in that, uh, is that in the invention of solitude, where <coughs> your first wife sends you the letters from when we, <coughs> when you were young?
1: No, that was the um, report the, from the interior. Uh, yeah,
0: report from <coughs> and um, and you 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 discover you were able to read your own voice from around twenty.
1: Yeah, nineteen twenty twenty one. It was shocking.
0: Because, and, because uh, that is. Fantastic, yeah, really. Yeah. The only way to, to get back, really. That's right. But is that really true? Because when you are 70, reading yourself as a 20-year person, what about the layers then?
1: Well, it's just that um, I think I, what I discovered reading those letters was that um, I had misremembered that time. I had mm-hmm. changed the, the mm-hmm. story. Um, I had scrambled dates, um, for example, I, I had been in a very a bad spot, an anguished spot when I was about 20. And I had gone off to Paris to spend a year as a student and I got into a big fight with the director of the program and I quit. I just quit. I was so angry then. And um, But of course quitting college meant Vietnam, right? Mm-hmm. So a smart wonderful uncle of mine persuaded me to come back. And I, and I did go back. But I remember living in Paris by myself and being very happy um, until November. But now the letters reveal that I came back in early October. So, so I gave myself another tri- month and a half <laughs> all alone in Paris. But I, I didn't spend that much time there. No. <laughs> That's one tiny example (laughs) of hundreds of others. Mm. Mm.
0: (laughs) I I was meant to ask you a question. There is not much time left, but about a a topic around which I'm most incompetent. Uh, The importance of, in American males' lives, of sports. What is it? Is it a substitute for something else? Is it just sports? Is it small talk? Is it feelings?
1: Uh, well, it depends. Look, there are a lot of boys who are not interested in sports. And I they know, don't do that. I know some. But when, when, in the time I grew up, mm-hmm. everybody had to do them.
0: It was just required in yeah. school.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was gym class and. Uh, And a lot of emphasis was put on it, and um, most of the boys I knew were very interested in playing, whether they were good or not so good. Uh, Mm -hmm. There was a lot of pleasure in just participating. Um,
0: but that's the, sp- the sports thing itself the talking about it no, because in, no one in talked more novels it. people yeah. go into bars and start talking about sports you see,
1: but I'm not talking about professional sports or anything like <laughs> that we were just children mm-hmm. and we would get finished with school and if it was uh, warm weather we would go to the park and play baseball mm-hmm. but no uniforms no adults, mm-hmm. no supervision whatsoever, mm-hmm. we would just play because we liked to play and if it was cold weather, we'd play football. Um, and that was pretty much what we did every day. Um, and it was wonderful. I, I, I enjoyed it a lot because, first of all, it was good not to have parents around. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if we had problems, we would have to se- settle them ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, uh, so while that's going on and you're getting more interested in playing these games, then of course, there are the professionals, so you start to look at mm. them because they're teaching you how to do it. But you watch and you learn, and then uh, people become obsessed with the baseball team or the football mm. team.
0: That's what I'm interested but, in, that. but
1: it's true all over the world. I mean, in Europe, it's mostly football, soccer, uh-huh. and uh, in America, it's basketball, yeah,
0: baseball, basketball, and baseball. American yeah. football,
1: um, and um.
0: But, but for me, as a, as a female reader, it seems that um, talking about uh, baseball, football, basketball <laughs> is a way for male, uh, not friends, but more strange uh, strangers, to to have something to talk about. Well, it's about. A,
1: it's a neutral topic, and yeah, it is something it where meant. men who are often so poor at at mm-hmm. maintaining conversations. So that, that's a safe and field, And it's not politics, thank <laughs> no, God. No, it's not where, politics. Where you know sometimes people want to rip dangerous. each other apart. Yeah. You can talk about your local mm-hmm. team and and uh, share something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean I uh, Albert Camus, the, 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 mm-hmm. the French writer, mm-hmm. you know he played uh, football, soccer. Mm-hmm. He was a goalie. And he's, he, he said, everything I've learned about truth and justice and responsibility I learned from playing football.
0: Mm.
1: And uh, Stephen Crane, the American writer that I've mm. been reading a lot of, yeah. who wrote the greatest war novel we've ever had in the United States, The Red Badge of Courage, he wrote it never having been to war. He had never seen mm. it, and it was about the Civil War, and he was born after the war was over. <laughs> and he said, Everything I know about war comes from playing football. He said it's the same thing. (laughs)
0: Uh, Apart from all the good things about this novel, it's um, uh, um, amazing how how good you are to portray these young boys, because the boys are the center characters. and some of some of I don't remember really who which Archie this is. Um, uh, he looks down as at at his chocolate pudding, wondering why there wasn't a law that allowed children to divorce their parents. <laughs> so capturing um, the thirteen-year-old who even has a a view of himself as a 13-year-old, as opposed to his parents.
1: Well, it was interesting. One friend of mine, he's much younger than I am, he's in his early 30s, he read the book and he said, for him, the greatest pleasure was um, seeing the difference between a 4-year-old and a 6 year old Mm-hmm. and then a six-year-old to an eight-year-old, mm-hmm. how they're, they're changing, you, they, you know, they're developing, they become different. And to track all that, I was very careful to try mm-hmm. to get into the head of each boy at mm-hmm. that particular moment in his life. And one of the big challenges of the book was um, number four, who becomes the writer, the fiction writer. So his first big story that he writes, is 14 <laughs> years old. Mm-hmm. And I said, what? Okay, uh, it, it came to me. He writes a story about a pair of shoes, Hank shoes. and Frank, and <laughs> and he just follows them through their life. And they their uh, their owner is a, uh, a police detective. And um, I really enjoyed you doing this. I have, have to, a to say, a lot of fun now. And, and just to think of how a bright fourteen year old boy would approach this approach. topic. He's really writing a story about his mm-hmm. dead friends, you see. Mm-hmm. But, um,
0: and you didn't he... mention the title because it's soul soulmate S O
1: L E. Yes, ah. yeah. Well, <laughs> another pun that can't be translated, I'm afraid. <laughs>
0: so I have a suggestion for you. I think you should go on writing the non-fiction uh, books, uh, trying to catch up with the memories and the the of memories. And then use that for your new novels. Well,
1: I'm going to try to take your advice. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Talk. Yeah,
1: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.
0: You have been listening to Lit House, the English language podcast from the House of Literature in Oslo, Literaturhuset. Music by Apothek.